We're in Mark chapter 5 today. Verse 21. Remember, Jesus took uh, the disciples on a little field trip last week, didn't he? And they went to the other side of the lake, <clears throat> which was for them a pretty scary place to go. And a good reminder to us that God sometimes has to stretch us and take us to scary places, doesn't he? So we can see the fullness of all the good things he wants to do in our lives. All the awesome ways that he wants to use us. And so they took a trip to the other side of the lake. And Jesus had made his point abundantly clear. <laughs> and what was the point? The point was that he was the Messiah. Not just of... Uh, <laughs> Those on the left side of the lake, see Galilee there, see the Sea of Galilee to the right, okay? So, see over here on the right side, those towns, that's the Decapolis. Those were the towns uh, on the other side, the Gentile side of the lake, kind of like the other side of town, sometimes we think about it as, and so they went there. Today we're going to look at what happened when Jesus got back to the other side of the lake, because on the other side of the lake was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John, Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village, and Jesus had set up his ministry base in Galilee there. Now he's back. And Mark is trying to give us a picture of an average day in the life of Jesus. You ever have some really busy days? At the end of the day, you can't even believe you got through it and all those things happened and that many problems came up and you were all those places and what happened and all of that. Well, Jesus had days like that all the time and the disciples who were following him were learning a lot as they did. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, I just said that, didn't I? It's in the Bible. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. In other words, they were waiting for him. Why didn't they go to the other side of the lake and just follow him? Yeah, they don't go over there. That's right. You may remember that back when they first left, it said there were other boats with them, but it said nothing about the other boats making it to shore on the other side. <laughs> they probably went about halfway and then went like, uh, or when they saw the storm coming up, they got out of there. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, synagogues were meeting places for Jews. In every Jewish town, there was a synagogue. Uh, it wasn't in the sense, like just a place of worship. That's how we usually think about it. It's like, it was like a Jewish church, but they were more like Jewish community centers, okay? And uh, a person who was in good standing in the Jewish community center, the synagogue, 
got several benefits and privileges from being part of it. And then that's where they had all of their interaction and fellowship. And if they needed help with someone, that's where they went. And that's how they kept in good standing with the Jewish religion, by being part of a synagogue. Um, synagogue is a word that comes from two Greek words, soon, together, the word together, and gogos, which is one of the words for people or groups of people. So all a synagogue was was a place where people got together who shared in common their Jewish faith. All right? Now, in the Jewish synagogue, uh, there were rabbis, certainly, probably multiple rabbis, but there was one person who was probably elected by those who met at the Jewish synagogue as the leader, as the sort of administrator, okay, as the one who oversaw the activities that happened. That's who Jairus was, the Capernaum synagogue leader or overseer. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now this was a big thing since uh, Jairus was a man of some standing among the Jews. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, Jesus had become a quite controversial figure among the Jewish leaders by this point, even up in Galilee. And they uh, had some problems with some of the things that Jesus had done. Remember, he had actually been thrown out of the synagogue in Nazareth, which was also up in Galilee, just inland. That was his hometown. So in the synagogues, it was kind of like, a, you ever go to the post office and you see your picture up there? Okay, well, they probably had a picture of Jesus in the synagogue saying, like, don't listen to this rabbi. We don't like him. But Jairus was desperate. Do you understand desperation? How many of you have ever been desperate? Oh, boy, your hands went up in a hurry. Yeah, we've been there. Okay, so he wasn't caring about what other people would think. That's what happens when you're desperate. Or even whether he thought it was a good idea, or whether he even really believed in Jesus, he just knew that Jesus did things that they had never seen anyone do before, including healing illnesses that had brought people to the point of death. So, my little daughter's dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Why do you think the large crowd followed? Okay, they wanted to see what he was going to do. I mean, he had in Capernaum been doing all kinds of miraculous works, and they wanted to see what Jesus would do about it. Is this a problem too big? Is this little girl too sick? For Jesus to heal. And then the other thing was, you ever like get lined up and you're like kind of in the, me next, me next, me next. Some of them probably had problems. They're going like, well, if he heals Jairus' daughter, then he's going to have to do something for me. In fact, I know Jairus, and maybe I can get Jairus to talk to Jesus and get what I need from him. So a large crowd presses around him. 
This sets up the scene for this day in the life of Jesus. Now, the day has been sometime into the morning, probably, because just arrived from the other side of the lake, remember, where he had been over dealing with the demoniac, the demon-possessed man, over on the other side of the lake. While many among the Jews, influenced by the Pharisees, had begun to doubt whether Jesus could really be the promised Messiah, Savior, Deliverer, the promised one from the Old Testament, those struggling with seemingly hopeless situations continued to seek him out. <laughs> As a pastor, I often have said to me, well, um, uh, please pray for my Uncle Louie or this person, whatever. That, and, uh, and I say, like, well, what's going on? Well, this, you know, well would, would he like me to come and pray for him or, or talk to him or, or try to help him in any way? Oh, no, no. He doesn't believe. He's very anti-religion. We bring it up, he gets mad. Okay? <laughs> but the thing is, then by the, eventually, by the way, I meet Uncle Louie, <laughs> and he is not mad or defensive and the walls aren't up. Why, why is it? Because he's in the hospital now. <laughs> and he's flat on his back, and he's scared. You know, there are no atheists <laughs> at death's doorstep. <laughs> Atheism goes right out the window at that point. Now, they may not believe like you do, but they start believing, or at least thinking, wonder what's beyond this world. And there are no doctor answers to those questions. And so desperate people turn to God. And when they saw what Jesus could do, the people in Capernaum turned to Christ when they were in trouble. But something happens. One such person was Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He must have been troubled by Jesus' healing of a man on the Sabbath. You remember that in Capernaum, Jesus, because the Pharisees had begun to question whether he could be the Messiah, because he healed people on the Sabbath. They had a problem with that. And then, so Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, he is recognized as a rabbi, and so he teaches. And then after he's done, he actually calls a man who has a withered hand. And he calls him right in the synagogue, right to the center of the activity, and right in front of everybody, heals him. Now, Jesus is really being a troublemaker at this point because he certainly could have waited till everybody was gone and done it, or he could have called the man aside, come here, I'm, I'll be glad to do this for you, but I don't want to do it in front of all these people who don't really believe in me. But he does it right in front of them. You suppose Jairus was there? He was the administrator of the synagogue. He saw it, so I'm sure right along with the rest of me, thought, oh, we thought he could be the Messiah, but he can't be. Until his daughter was sick. Until his daughter was dying. Changes everything. Sorry, my thing's not working. I have to wait for it to come up. So Jesus went with him. He went with Jairus. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine a constant 
hemorrhage of blood for 12 years, how that would leave you feeling. Not only that, but in the Jewish um, legal system from the book of Leviticus, uh, women who were in this state had to be separated from the rest of society until they were finished. Well, if it lasted for 12 years, then that meant she was ostracized from the rest of society, which certainly meant even her family. No human contact, no interaction, her health at the lowest possible point. If any of you have ever been anemic, <laughs> okay, you know what it would be like if you were constantly bleeding all the time, and by the way, long before any transfusions, right? <laughs> so there was no help that way. Can you imagine? She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. <laughs> the interesting thing about this particular verse is that remember how when we started this study, I said three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptics, which means seen together. They were viewed from the same basic perspective and written for the same purpose, <coughs> just simply written to different audiences. It is believed that two of them had one of them in front of them when they wrote theirs. And since Mark is the shortest, it is assumed that Mark was the one that they had that they used as a basic outline, and then they added stories from their own personal experience and things that they thought was important that maybe Mark didn't think were as important to include. But the curious thing is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. But... <laughs> The curious thing is, this verse here is in Mark's gospel, it is in Matthew's gospel, but this verse is left out of Luke's gospel. Why do you think Luke would leave it out? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> he was a doctor. He's going like, we don't, doctors get a bad enough reputation. We don't need to like put this in. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had but instead of getting better, she grew worse. Well, all that's saying, of course, is that the medical profession in that day and today has limitations, okay? And um, they weren't helping her. She was uh, desperate, you can imagine. Well, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, his outer garment, now, it's helpful to understand a little bit of the culture, the Jewish culture here. Um, various garments were worn in layers, by, particularly by people of importance, because the outer layer usually bore some kind of marking that indicated your role in society. Well, Jesus would have been counted among those who were rabbis. And rabbis always had a shawl around their neck called a prayer shawl. When they prayed, they would lift it up and put it on their head as a covering of humility before God. Okay? But they would wear it around their neck all the time. Now, all of the Pharisees wore prayer shawls. 
and the Sadducees for the most part as well. And uh, at the end of their prayer shawls, it became the tradition that they would have long fringes hanging off of their shawls. And those who thought they were the most spiritual would have longer fringe. And the tradition was, when the Messiah comes, he'll have the very longest fringe of all. And so when this next verse that you've heard before comes up, this is probably what's being referred to. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Likely, she was looking to lay hold of that garment that she saw as an indication that he was the Messiah. And so that's why later, as you're going to see, Jesus is going to point out the fact that the reason why at this moment this woman's about to be healed, even though the doctors haven't been able to help her for 12 years, is that her faith comes in contact with the Messiah's arrival at that very moment. And she placed her personal faith that he was the Messiah. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That must have been a marvelous moment. In the crowd that same day was a woman whose tragic physical condition had excluded her from any kind of social contact and rendered her an outcast. Well, next slide didn't want to come up. Okay, John, I need the next slide. You're going to have to help me. That's not the next slide. Oh, you got to go ahead. Uh, you're going to have to go a long wave more <laughs> to catch up with where I'm at. Oh, you went too far now, back, before, this, before these verses. Almost there. One more, I think. Bingo. Oh, one more. I lied. Thank you. In the crowd that same day was a woman whose tragic physical condition had excluded her from any kind of social contact and rendered her an utter outcast. There's not another white slide like that? Okay, I'm in trouble. What? Thank you. Yeah, and that was unique to Mark's gospel. And uh, thanks, appreciate it. That will help. Technical difficulties. Which way is ahead, the down arrow or the up arrow? The down one. Down one. Okay, I like down. See what happens. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you, you can ask, who touched me? In other words, it was this huge crowd. People were bumping up against him all over the place. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman 
knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Well, it sounds like she's making a confession. Why is she having to confess? She had violated the Levitical law. She shouldn't have even been in public by the Levitical law, and she certainly shouldn't be touching a man. But, of course, she came to believe this wasn't any ordinary man. She was right. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Isn't that interesting? Not the Messiah has healed you, but your faith has healed you. Because faith, of course, is what puts us in contact with God. It's, it's our little role in it. All of the grace part, that's God's part. But he waits for us. And it doesn't take much, does it? I mean, how much faith is that to just reach out and touch him? <laughs> Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Her longing to touch just the lower part of his robe and thus be healed was likely based in the Jewish tradition that a rabbi's righteousness could be determined by the length of the fringe on his prayer shawl, as I mentioned, and that the Messiah, when he appeared, would have the longest fringe of all. The valiant effort to reach him was confirmation of her faith that Jesus was the one that Israel had been waiting for and also her only hope for restoration. Now, does anybody remember what Jesus was doing when this happened? You totally forgot it, did you? Yeah, he was on his way to Jairus' house. Can you imagine the frustration if you were Jairus? <laughs> this woman's been sick for 12 years. She's going to be sick in another week if you go take care of my daughter first and come back. If I were Jairus, that's how I would have thought. <laughs> My daughter's dying. This woman's just cut off from society and very sick. But Jesus obviously doesn't think that way. He stops to heal her. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? <laughs> teacher word here is rabbi again these were close family members and others connected with Jairus who was the head of the synagogue where they acknowledged who the rabbis were why bother the rabbi anymore Overwhelming, overhearing what they said Jesus told him don't be afraid just believe <laughs> he give so what See, a lot of it has been made about how compassionate Jesus was, that even though he was hurrying to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter, he stopped because of the need of this woman. Well, I think Jesus is very compassionate, but I think compassionate, compassion has nothing to do with this because of the fact that the woman was going to be healed by touching him whether he stopped and talked to her or not. I think he was trying to make a point, really. 
Jairus had heard what Jesus said to the woman. Your faith has made you whole. Okay? And that was a critical issue for Jairus, wasn't it? Okay? He was desperate, so he had no place else to turn. But did he really believe Jesus could do anything about it? It was his last chance, but faith was probably pretty minimal. And Jesus goes, that minimal faith is going to be enough to see something miraculous. But first you needed to see how it works in this woman's life. She's an example of your response to this difficult situation that you're facing right now. The woman's healing was remarkable, but even as the people rejoiced, servants from Jairus' house came with the sad news that his daughter, as he had feared, had died. Jesus had been delayed by the encounter. Can you really delay Jesus? No. Apparently delayed, I should have put in there, by the encounter. And now they would never know if he could heal her. Yet Jesus does not apologize. He simply challenges the grieving father to do what? Believe. The question I present is, could it be that the greatest miracle of all was just ahead? That's a rhetorical question because the answer is yes. Let's see what happened. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He often done, did this when he had a particular point he wanted to make. He had done it on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember? When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. In the Middle East, this is the tradition. When they grieve at someone's death, I mean, you've probably seen like in Palestine, sort of time, like if there's someone who was killed in an uprising or something like that, they just, the noise is, is incredible. It's just their cultural way of mourning. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? For the child is not dead, but asleep. <clears throat> now this was Jesus' way of saying the death isn't final. It isn't the end. I think she was really just asleep in our sense of it. But they laughed at him. So after he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Do you think he put them out because they were laughing? I think... Yeah, that's exactly it. The laughing was just indication of they didn't believe it. He was going like, this is a faith matter. We better get it down to the people who are at the doorstep of faith. He took, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, that's Aramaic, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Wake up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. <laughs> Little inserted note, she was 12 years old because that's what 12-year-old girls do when they're not very sick. And at this, they were completely 
astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Interesting comment that Mark decides to add. The entire community gathers to mourn. In the Jewish community, the father is a man of great respect. He's the synagogue overseer. When Jesus arrives, he walks right by the gathered mourners to the side of the little girl, speaks to the 12-year-old in the local dialect in Aramaic, takes her by the hand. She rises to life. For those who struggled with believing, all obstacles had been removed. Who else but the promised one, the Messiah, could do such a thing? Your perception of this part of the story, a day in the life of Christ. Yes, Jen. Yes, please. Uh huh. Of course. So what's he? Yeah, it's a good point. But so then, why, why do you think he asked? What happened as a result of him asking the question? What did she need to do? Come forward as as an expression of her faith, right? Okay. And he knew she needed to do that. So he said, who touched me? He wasn't talking to the disciples, but they tried to answer for him. Well, how, look at all these people. <laughs> Why do you ask who touched me? But he was looking for the woman to say, I touched you because I believe, and now I'm whole. Dave? Right. Right. She drew attention to the fact that she was there. She probably would have been unnoticed in the crowd if she hadn't said something. But she needed to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Natalie. Uh, he he did that. This is like about the fifth time this has happened in Mark's account. <clears throat> He's trying to manage and like for instance, why did he only take the three disciples in, and why did he tell all the mourners to go away? Again, he was dealing with people who were at critical points of faith. And people who weren't at that place, okay, he didn't want them to intellectually get ahead of where their faith was. Yeah, again, he, he's God. He can control that any way he wants to. That, that is one perception that people would say that. But the main thing was is that he want when you know you've had the same thing happen in your walk of faith over the years okay um there have been times you were ready for something okay and there would have been times if it would have it could have been the most miraculous thing in the world if god would have done it right in your presence it would have been you missed because you weren't ready for it. it your faith couldn't even make contact with that okay and i think it's that he's saying like People have to come one at a time individually to their own personal faith that I'm not only the Messiah, but I'm their Messiah. Like who did? 
the woman did, like he invited Jairus to do, okay, but one at a time, okay, and what, only for those who are ready. Yes, Dave. And them praying, you know, and I wish, right. you know, there's some that are struggling with that. I let them know that, you know, your faith in prayer does just as much as mine. It's not bad to ask other people to pray with you. No. And they'll pray for you in my stead. Yeah, it can be an important part of the process if they're saying by that, I'm praying, but my faith is weak. Pray with me. Strengthen my faith by adding your faith to my faith. But if they're not adding, like, my faith can't be a substitute for your faith. But our faith together, we can encourage and strengthen one another's faith if we believe together. Or sometimes people call that agreeing in prayer. Yeah, so, so you're, you're right. I, you, I can't believe for somebody else, but together we can believe. But I can't also, sometimes people will like take somebody who's early in the faith and they're really weak in their faith and they try to get them to come up to their level. You can't. They're going to get there when they're ready. Okay, and not until. And God is amazingly patient. With, have you noticed that? Okay, <laughs> waiting for us to come to that, to that point. I mean, this was in Capernaum. Jesus had been in Capernaum for some time, as in year. Okay. He hadn't touched this woman. He hadn't healed this woman. Now, in Jairus' case, his daughter wasn't sick to death till right now. But for this woman, she'd been around. On this day, she mustered up the strength by her faith to say, if I see Jesus... I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get to him because I believe he's the Messiah. And that was the moment, no matter what else he was doing, even though he was hurrying to help somebody else who was in desperate need, <laughs> he stopped to address her faith. When we're ready to believe, God is ready to address our need. But he also is extremely patient to wait for us to get ready or for life to get us ready. Anybody else? Questions? Comments on the passage? All right. Let's look at where we're going next week. We'll be in chapter 6 next week. And we're going to uh, move from Capernaum to Jesus um, working with his disciples on another level. A disciple, the word disciple means student. But not student in the sense of, like all of you are students today, but in the first century sense of a student who moved in with and lived with the teacher so as to learn from them by observing them as much as teaching them. That's what the disciples had done now for a couple of years. But they were about to become not just disciples, but apostles. The word apostle, apostolos, means sent ones. In other words, Jesus was going like, 
yeah, you can follow me, but not just so that you could get smarter and better and more spiritual, but so that you, in my absence later, could be my representatives. And so uh, in the next chapter, he starts sending them out to see what they can do in his name. By the way, God does the same thing in our lives, doesn't he? Okay, okay. He calls us to discipleship, okay, and then he's got a mission for us in addition, and we'll be looking at it next week.